Luke 8, um, 4 through 8, uh, the parable of the sower. And when a great crowd was gathering people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Yeah. All right, you can be seated. <coughs> good morning again, you guys. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it certainly has been a wild week uh, and uh, a crazy year, right? Um, man, this is one of the reasons that we're, we're so passionate uh, about being people of the word. Like we as Christians, we want to know, like, how, how can we, how should we view these things, these events happening around us? How should we view our place in the world? Where is God in the middle of all this, right? And so, man, we want to be people of the word, and that's why uh, we are uh, committing to, as a church family, reading through the Bible together chronologically. Um, if you are on our email list, then you should have already uh, received that, uh, uh, all the information you need about that. But uh, if you're not, you can just go to our website at kx.church slash Bible uh, and, and, and find out what the reading plan is all about, uh, some of the resources, uh, helps, and apps uh, that are provided to, to help you with that. Uh, and in order to, to sort of start our year off on the right foot, what we're doing is we're, we're actually uh, going through a series that we're calling Read the Bible. Right, We're just spending a few weeks just to talk about what is the Bible, how should we uh, view uh, the Bible, um, and, and this morning in particular, we're going to talk about different ways that we tend to respond to the Bible when we read it. We're going to answer some questions for you, like, why is it sometimes hard to read the Bible? Why is it that some smart people can't seem to see the truth that's in its pages? Why is it hard to pay attention when you're listening to sermons? I know no one really struggles with that at our church, uh, but I've heard that happens. So um, we'll explain like all of these things, and we're going to unpack four ways uh, that we tend to respond to God's Word. Before we get into the text, let me pray for us. Uh, Lord, we just turn our hearts to you. We want to be people of your word, people of the scriptures, in a world of unrest, in a nation of turmoil, in a season of restlessness. Uh, we look for hope and truth and beauty that can really only be found in, in you. And so, Lord, by your word, would you just speak to us um, what we need to hear this morning, that we might walk away from it uh, just loving you more and knowing you better. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So our passage, as we read, comes out of Luke chapter 8. I'm going to begin reading in verse 4. <coughs> It says, when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, came to Jesus, he said in a 
parable. Uh, and then verse five, he says, he starts the parable and says, the sower went out to sow his seed. Now, I just want to say a quick word on what is a parable, right? Uh, you see Jesus speaks in parables. So what's, what is a parable? A parable is simply a story that's used to illustrate a meaningful message, right? It's a simple story used to illustrate a meaningful message. So if you ever heard me say like in a sermon, uh, you know, like, hey, in that one movie, uh, you know, what Indiana Jones, right? Like in that one movie, there's a scene where, and then I start ex explaining the scene and you draw an illustration out of it. Like that's, that's, that's a sort of a parable. Uh, the problem with the way that we view parables is that most of us think, uh, most of us look at parables, we read them and we think, wow, I understand the lesson from this. And now I'm more inspired to be a more moral person, right? I'm more inspired to do the right thing. But that's just a small, small part, a small slice of the parable pie. All right? Like there are certainly moral lessons that we can draw from parables, but that's just a small sliver of what we're supposed to walk away with. There's a greater less lesson that every parable points to, a greater lesson that we shouldn't, shouldn't miss. And here's what Jared Wilson says about that. Uh, he's an author out of uh, St. Louis. He says, when these often repeated stories from Jesus, speaking of parables, when these parables strike us as sweet, heartwarming, or inspiring in the sentimental sense rather than the spiritual sense, we can be sure we've misread them. A great generation of, or a gener whole generation of churchgoers grew up hearing parables taught more along the lines of moralistic fables illustrations of how to do the right things that God would have us do. And they are that, but they are also more than that. Some of these narratives are only a few lines long, but every parable, long or short, is uh, fathoms deep and designed to drive us to Jesus in awe, need, faith, and worship. And when we treat them as just inspiring tales, we make superficially insipid, meaning watered down, what ought to be spiritually incisive. In other words, like discerning. In other words, parables invite us not just to be better people, but to invite us, they invite us to press deeper into the life of Jesus to be drawn in by him and to experience the kingdom of God through him. That is the purpose of a parable. And so, look, this is the point of Bible reading. The point of all Bible reading is to be drawn in by Christ and to experience more of his kingdom, right? You'll hear often the Bible described as like a, a love letter to us, the story of God's love for us. And in a sense, it is that, but it's also more than that. You maybe have heard it said that the, the scriptures are um, like, like God's, almost like a manual for life, right? Tells us how to live. And yes, like it does that, but it's also so much more than that. The primary purpose of the scriptures is to be drawn in by the person of Christ, by the Lord Jesus Christ, and to experience more of his kingdom. And so, man, I want to ask that question of us this morning. When we listen to a sermon, 
When we open up the Bible, are we hoping to be drawn in by Christ and to experience more of his kingdom? That's our goal. Now, why doesn't that always happen? Why doesn't that always happen when we read God's word? Jesus explains why this doesn't always happen by beginning his parable. He says in verse 5, A sower went out to sow his seed. Now, I know we don't really have any farmers here, right? Uh, We live in western, middle-class suburbia. And so when I talk about sowing seeds and scattering them out on the ground, like nobody here really gets that reference uh, from personal experience. Like the most seeds uh, I've ever seen at once are the ones that come in my like everything but the bagel seasoning. You guys know what that is? It's like one of the best seasonings you get from Trader Joe's. It's like all this stuff that goes on an everything bagel and they put it in a little bottle. Um, if you don't know what that is, you are missing out. But, but Jesus, when he was speaking this, he was speaking to a first century agrarian society. And so everyone listening in. They got this reference. Everyone in the crowd, as he was talking about sowing seed, they got that reference. They could picture it in their minds. Because when Jesus paints a picture about some guy sowing seed, they're like picturing their neighbor Ned out on his plot of land, scattering seed, right? Like back then, uh, you like you would walk around with like this giant fanny pack in front with uh, just a, a giant bowl of seed just hanging in front of you. Uh, with a basket attached to your hip. And what you do is you'd scoop into the basket with your hand and then you'd throw the seed out. Uh, you'd throw it out and it would scatter wide. And that's, what's, that's the event that Jesus is describing here in a parable, a sower who is sowing seed like that, scattering it on the ground. And he says, he continues in verse five. He says, as he sowed, Some fell along the path, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as Jesus said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You see, notice there's a lot of descriptive words, a lot of illustrative words in here. Whenever Jesus tells these parables, you can picture the scene unfolding before you. And then he concludes by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Which is really a way of saying, look, it's not enough to have ears on the side of your head. Everyone has those, right? except maybe Vincent van Gogh, right? There's a kind of ear, like a spiritual ear, an ear of the heart that not everybody uses. This ear finds God's truth and power as something that calls out to you and draws you in. And to double down on this issue of hearing with the heart, Jesus breaks down the parable for them. He says, 
Verse 9, when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now when we read these verses, that might bother us. Right? That might make us comfortable because these verses, sometimes it, it, it kind of sounds like Jesus is saying, look, I'm speaking in parables so that those other people won't get my point. But the best way to understand this is to look at parables as sort of like a, like a practical filter. Right? <laughs> Jesus is really saying, look, those who are really interested in who I am and the message I bring, the ones who really want to figure it out, who want to feel the power of the kingdom, those are the people that will draw near and work to digest this parable. You see, this is actually why only a small group of people approach Jesus. Like in verse 9, it says that only a small group courted him when he's alone. It says, uh, he says when his disciples asked him what this parable meant. But earlier in verse 4, it says a great crowd came to hear him speak. So a great crowd came to hear him speak, but only his disciples, those who had chosen to follow him, they said, they were the ones that followed him and said, hey, like, help us figure this out, right? They're the ones that drew near. The rest of the crowd don't hunt him down for answers, and that's because they're not invested. Those who are truly listening with the spiritual ear, they're drawn in. And so parables are a way of inviting some people in and calling other people out. And in a greater sense, that's kind of the same effect that the Word of God has, just as a whole. The Word of God has a way of drawing people in who want to know, know more about Christ, who want to know something of the kingdom, right? And it also has the power to push others away. It's like that phrase that the same sun uh, that, um, what is it, the same sun that, softens the some something what is it butter. the butter is that what it is okay that's right yeah the same sun that softens the butter hardens the clay you sure it's butter yeah okay cool yeah <laughs> so um but it's that same idea here parables god's word has a way of inviting people in but also call, calling others out here's a way that John Piper articulates this in a sermon that he gave on, on, on this text. He says, There is an ear that hears in the preaching of the word more than mere words. And so in other words, there's an ear that hears more than just words. There is a beauty and a truth and a power that these ears hear as compelling and transforming and preserving. That's the kind of hearing that Jesus is calling for. That's the kind of hearing that I'm praying for, for our church family. The type of hearing that compels and transforms and preserves us. Now the good news for us is that Jesus explains to his disciples the whole meaning of the parable. He kind of breaks it down to him for them in, in verses 11 through 15. I want you to look at verse 11 with me. Jesus responds to them and he says, look, now the parable is this. He's saying, here, let me explain it to you. The seed is the word of God. The seed is a picture of the word of God. And the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe uh, and be saved. And so 
remember, the, 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 in the parable, the sower, uh, when he sowed it, he says, some fell on, down on the path. It was a hardened path. Uh, and so uh, he says that, that those seeds represent like those people who've, who've heard the word of God. But then the enemy comes and takes the word from their hearts so that they won't believe and be saved. What we see here is that the soil in this parable uh, uh, provide pictures of the human heart, right? And so the first example in the parable, the path, the seed that falls on the path, that represents a hardened heart. A hardened heart. See, the pathway represents a hard heart. The ground is hard, and so the, the, the seed never really sinks in. Right? So if you've ever been hiking on a hiking trail, you know that like once, once a trail has been worn down, uh, the dirt on that trail gets packed in. Right? It's been trampled a lot by, by foot, and so it gets packed in. And uh, it's harder on that ground than it is on the surrounding ground, and the, and the seed can't penetrate it. Jesus says that's what happens when the Word of God lands on a heart that is hardened. So this could be someone who like hears the word of God, but they don't embrace it because their heart is hardened to the gospel message, which by the way, that's the, if you don't know that, that's the story of C.S. Lewis. Uh, he was a hardened atheist. Uh, he didn't want to be a believer. Uh, and in his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, he, he describes about how he just thought he was so much smarter than all these spiritual people, right? Uh, he was a teacher at Oxford. Uh, he'd written a bunch of books and, 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 and taught a bunch of lectures at that point. Uh, he was still very much an intellectual, um, but he thought he had no need for the spiritual, had no, wanted nothing to do uh, with Christ, and was an avowed atheist. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's somebody that you you know. Maybe you're or you're maybe you're somebody who's just not really interested in spiritual conversations or spiritual realities. And and look, especially for those who are tuning in, like I just want to say, if that's you this morning, we just want to say we're we're stoked that you would decide to be with us still, and hope that. This is a community. This is a church community that you know you can feel welcome at and get your questions, your honest questions answered. One of the things I actually love about our church community is we've had a number of, of people here, people that are part of our community, uh, who would say, like, look, I'm not really a follower of Jesus, but I, I do have some honest questions about who he is and what that all means. And our goal has always been to create a safe place for people regardless of where they're at on that spectrum. To come with their doubts, to come with their honest questions, to come to seek and explore this ancient faith. And as the scriptures say, to taste and see that the Lord is good. That's our desire. I love the way that C.S. Lewis actually describes his conversion in that autobiography. He says, he, he's describing what he was like before he got converted. And he says, you, you got to picture me alone in that room in Magdalen, night after night, feeling, whenever my mind lifted even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of capital H, him, whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. He's like, I felt God pursuing me, but I just so much did not want to meet him. 
And then he says, I eventually gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed, perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. He went from having a hardened heart to a softer heart. You see, a hardened heart, though, doesn't just have to be somebody who's a skeptic like that, though. A hardened heart can also be somebody who has faith in Jesus, but their faith is, is really only intellectual and theoretical, right? They just like to theologize, right? Their, their faith is just up in the head. Where you go to church, maybe you read theology books, but it's not actually making a personal, penetrating plunge into your heart. It's all head and it's no heart. Maybe some questions to ask yourself this morning. Have you ever come under the power of the truth? Where you felt its force? Where you were moved by it? Is your, if you would consider yourself a Christian this morning, is your Christianity just these abstract ideas or is it a personal relationship? Does the truth of God move you? Does the love of God woo you in? If not, then your heart is hardened. You see, it's not just licentiousness that can harden a heart. Licentiousness meaning you, you live and act as though you have license to do and think whatever you want, like C.S. Lewis did before his conversion. A heart can be hardened also through legalism. Through trying to build up your own identity and your own self-righteousness. In, in what a great moral person you are. Or what a smart theologian you are. Rather than resting and knowing and loving Christ. Jesus continues in the parable. Verse 13. He says, the ones on the rock are those who, when they, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But these have no roots. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. So in the parable, Jesus says, you know, there's a, the sower. He sows it on, on, on the rock. And, and those, who, those that fall on the rock, uh, he says here, they, they just are, it's like the person who hears the word of God, receives it with joy, but because there's no roots there, there's, there's nowhere to, to dig roots in there. They just believe for a while, and in time, testing may fall away. And this leads to the second kind of soil, the rocky ground which is a picture of a shallow heart. The rocky ground is a picture of a shallow heart. The problem with this soil is not so much that it's too hard, but that it's actually too shallow. This is someone who has like an amazing emotional response to God's word or to worship music. They spring up. They're all stoked and excited about Jesus. They've moved beyond the intellectual. It's gotten down into their heart. They're really excited. They've got the, all the Jesus stickers on their back of their car, on their bumper, and on their water bottle. They download all the worship playlists on Spotify. There's a visible joy there, a visible excitement. But because the ground is shallow and they have no roots to handle, the scorch of the sun 
They can't take the heat. And so even though there's an emotional response to who Jesus is, and they'd say that Jesus has changed them, as soon as troubles arrive, or as soon as they find out about that sickness, or as soon as they're faced with peer pressure, as soon as their spouse wants to separate, or maybe a child passes away, you say, I don't want to believe in Jesus anymore. I can't believe that he is good. Or maybe it's as soon as you lose things that are important to you, you turn your back on God and say, look, if I can't have these things, then what use is Jesus to me? If I can't still have these things that I want and that I need, then what good is Jesus to me? And Jesus says, that's like the person where there's no real roots present. In verse 14, he introduces the third kind of soil. In verse 14, he says, For those that fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked up by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And so this is number three, the thorny soil, which is a picture of a stifled heart. The thorny soil is a stifled heart. This soil isn't hard. It's not shallow. It's just crowded, right? It's just stifled. There's a lot going on there. It's a picture of a stifled heart. It's like the rich young ruler who ran to Jesus and asked what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, look, will you give what you have to the poor and then follow me? And the guy basically goes, well, I don't want to follow you that bad, right? You see, his, he was worshiping two things. His riches were his real God. His riches were his ultimate God. So maybe ask yourself, like, what is the one thing that you're holding on to, like a madman that you just can't let go of? What relationship, what addiction, what apathy, what possession, what is the one thing that you get more defensive about than anything? Your politics? Where's the war for your soul going on in your heart? Man, if it's crowded there, if Jesus is an ultimate, and your heart is stifled. There's good news, he says in verse 15. Verse 15, he says, And as for that in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This is the picture of the good soil, which illustrates a transformed heart. The good soil is a picture of the transformed heart. Finally, in this description of the parable, we have some good news. We have picture of the good soil. Sometimes the word of God lands on good soil. This is like the disciples of Jesus who left their livelihood and said to Jesus, look, I'm all in. I'm pushing all my chips in on the table and I'm following you. I'm stepping into God's kingdom. 
That's when the word of the seed of the word goes deep. Where in your life do you need the soil to change? That's my question. Where do you need heart transformation? Where do you need the seed of the word to go deep? For some, it's a salvation thing, right? You give your heart and life to Jesus so that you can, you, you can, He can make you new, give you a new life, a true life, beauty and purpose that you didn't even know was possible. For others, it might be about healing. Maybe from a past hurt that scarred you or a past mistake that haunts you, that shames you. For some, it's just time to get roots. It's time to get roots in God's Word, to go all in, to embrace the way of Jesus and to engage in the community of Jesus. The most important, I want you to notice in all of these though, like with the salvation, with healing, with getting roots, you can't do that on your own. You can't do that on your own. This is a spiritual life we're talking about. You need a spiritual work to happen in your soul. Now, the most important thing to not miss is that you are the soil in this parable. Your heart is the soil and Jesus is the gardener. Jesus is the sower. The soil's job is not to get the rocks out. The soil's job is not to pull the thorns, thorns out. That's the gardener's job. Your job is to receive the seed and hear the word. And ask, plead, have a posture of heart that says, Jesus, would you transform my heart? Would you make my heart that good soil? Is that your posture? when you read the Word of God? Is that the posture of your heart when you're listening to a sermon? Is that the posture of your heart right now? Do you come to hear the Word of God with the soft vulnerability of a needy heart, with humility and expectancy and a desperate need for grace? Do you come with a hunger, a hunger from the bowels of your soul for more of God? A longing for more of his life and his kingdom. I hope you do. I hope you do. That is the mark of a transformed heart. And if you're not there, man, ask God to bring you there. Ask him to till the soil of your heart to soften it. Now, there's another significant point in this parable I don't want us to miss. The fact that Jesus chose the image of a seed. Why would he choose the image of a seed for the word of God? Jesus compares his word with a seed. Like why a seed of all things? Why something so small? He could have used the other Old Testament imagery um, that, that people would have been familiar with, like, like a fire consuming fire or a hammer or a sword right if it was modern day he could you could talk about like a stick of dynamite but he chooses a seed 
A seed that is small, humble, weak, vulnerable. You can't drop a seed on the ground and say, boom goes the seed, right? It's so small. It's easy to lose. He could have said, my word comes to consume and crush people like a fire and like a hammer. But he didn't come that way. Jesus didn't come that way. We talked about this in our Advent series just last month with Christmas. In his first coming, he came not in a war transport, but in a manger. He came subversively in a way that no one would expect the king of all kings to come. He came as a baby in a manger, just like a seed. The reality of Jesus was so unexpected, so not what people assumed of him, that his own family thought he was nuts. And the religious leaders who were supposed to be on his side thought he was demonic. The reality of Jesus and his kingdom does not make sense to the natural mind. And so Jesus uses one of the smallest, one of the most fragile, one of the most vulnerable metaphors to describe the breaking in of his ever-expanding glory and kingdom. A seed. Why? Because that's how the word of God works. Seeds are sneaky and unassuming. But a single seed has the potential to cover an entire earth and forest. But it'll take time. It'll take time and it has to go deep into the soil. But that potential is there. How do you go deep? How do we go deep? We hear the word, we receive the seed, we accept it. In, in, in verse 18, um, Jesus, he's, he, he's saying there, like in the Greek in verse 18, he literally say, says, listen with the intent of responding. I want you to listen with the intent of responding. In, in marriage, you kind of learn this pretty quick. Like, when you're listening, you should listen with the intent of, like, actually listening and truly responding, right? Like, this happens a lot where my wife's, like, asking me questions, uh, and, and she, you know, she's, she's she, she, and I'm just like, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. And then she, she gives me, like, a choice, you know, like, so, so what do you think we should do? Should we do this or that? And I'll go, yeah. She's like, are you listening to what I'm saying? And I'm like, yeah, I'm listening, and just my mind just automatically goes, like, you just said, and I'll repeat word for word what she just said. And she's like, so then why did you say yeah if I asked you to choose between this or that? And I'm like, I don't know. Guess I wasn't actually listening, right? Like, I was, I was, interp I was receiving words, but not with the intent of truly understanding and comprehending and responding. But that kind of engagement is where it's at here's what that tells us the way of the kingdom is unleashed the way that the kingdom is unleashed in your life is by taking the word of god and truly listening 
thinking, reflecting, chewing on it, discussing it, digging into it, talking to the Lord about it, talking to Christian community about it, taking the teachings of Jesus and working it into you, having it work into you by the Spirit of God. Work it deep like a seed. The gospel of Jesus has both the appearance of weakness and the silent strength of a seed. It's not a message that everyone wants to hear. It's not trending on social media, but it's been slowly reaching the ends of the earth, people group by people group, tribe by tribe, nation by nation. It's been slowly reaching the ends of the earth for the last 2,000 years, and it will continue to do so until Jesus returns. It is unexpected. The word of God is unexpected in the truest sense of that word. It's a message that starts small and unassuming. It's about death before anything else. A seed dies in the ground before anything can come of it. It's about a single man named Jesus. The first time he's mentioned in the Bible, in Genesis 3, he was referred to as the seed of the woman who would come to end all evil, sin, and death. This seed went into the ground. He died on the cross for our sins, went into the belly of the earth, but he didn't stay there. He didn't stay there. He rose to new life, the first fruit of a whole harvest of people who would also rise, the first son of a whole adopted family, you and me and a whole host of undeserving sinners all throughout history. A seed is small, but it can produce a harvest. And that is the surprising glory of our God, his word and his spirit. So I want to invite you guys this morning. I want to invite you this morning to pray, to ask the Lord to till the ground of your heart, the soil of your heart, make it ready to receive his word. Not just as you hear sermons like this, but as you're engaging God's word day in and day out. Um, Man, if you're not part of that reading plan, I really want to invite you to be a part of that with us as we grow in becoming people of the Word together. We are committed to investing time, resources, finances to help you grow in your relationship with the Lord and understand them better in His Word. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.